Welcome to another Distinct Nostalgia by MIM. Brought to you in partnership with The Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home. And this time we're meeting an actor who became known for the voices she created for some of the most memorable cartoon characters of all time. MIM's Ashley Byrne has been talking to prolific voice actor Kathy Gorey, but who's her most famous creation? Is it Sarge? No. Henry, the mild-mannered janitor? No. Maybe. Rosemary, the telephone operator? Could be. Enjoy. Let's go back in time um, to the sort of early 1970s, as it were, and tell me where you first heard um, about Hong Kong Fooey. When did when did people when did somebody sort of whisper that into your ear and, um, and make you aware of it? Well, I had been doing voice work for Hanna-Barbera. I had played the animated Gidget in an animated feature that they did. And so I got a call one day to go to the Hanna-Barbera studios and audition for a new show. And when I got over there, the show was Hong Kong Fooey. Um, and I was cast as Rosemary the cop, because I, I didn't know exactly how they wanted the character played. So I just kind of went full bore on. And I didn't know at the time what Rosemary was going to look like because they hadn't showed me a picture. Um, so I started out with hello, hello, you know, and uh, that's, I got the job, let's put it that way. And I met all my fellow cast members and um, it was very interesting doing that show. So you were a cop originally, not a telephone operator, is that right? Or you or was she a cop well, as well? Well, she she's the they they referred to her as a lady cop and she was the switchboard operator and she wore a police uniform and um she had a big crush on the dog janitor Hong Kong Fooey, which never even crossed my mind as like what this is cross species romance okay that sounds good nobody would think of it in a dreadful way then would they i mean these were more innocent times weren't they it was very innocent times and i was very innocent i was i was probably like 21 or 22 years old i was a kid when i started doing voice work i was about 18 or maybe i even started actually at the age of 17 and so I, a lot of this stuff flew right over my head. I, I had come out of convent school and went into sort of Hong Kong fooey. Uh, it, was, it, was it was a play, really, on the, the obsession of the time, wasn't it? Kung fu. And- yes, kung fu fighting, all the Bruce Lee movies. It was a real, there was a hit song called Kung Fu Fighting, um, which I used to play on the radio in Los Angeles. And so it was, yes, and it was um, that show with uh, David Carradine, you know, hello, grasshopper, that kind of deal. And so everybody was obsessed with Kung Fu. Personally, when I, when I saw the script, a lot of it flew over my head, but I thought, this is nuts. What is this? And I, I gotta say that it was quite shocking to find out that show has such a long lifespan. People love that show. Indeed. So tell us, you, so you got the script, and, and what happened then? You decided, you decided to go ahead with it, and uh, tell us how you, you got to know everybody and how it, how it all panned out. <laughs> I, got, I got to know everyone, and I was the baby. I mean, I was probably, like I said, 21, 22 years old, and I'm working with Joey Ross, 
who I remembered seeing as a kid on Sergeant Bilko, and Scatman Crothers, who used to come in and bring his ukulele, who was, these guys all seemed like they were a million years old to me. And Dawes Butler, one of the great um, figures in animation who did all the Flintstones and all that other stuff. And, and here, I'm just this baby, you know? And uh, these guys were raunchy. Joey Ross and Scatman were so raunchy. They used to do stuff that I, my jaw would be on the floor. It's like, what? What do you guys do? What are you talking about? You know? And Joey Ross at the time was probably, gee, I don't know. He must have been in his... He's everyone. He seems old to you when 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 one is like 21, 22 years old. He probably was in his sixties. I have no idea. But he was married to a girl my age, who was an ex stripper. Okay, so she would come to the sessions, and it was very strange. But you had to build a chemistry. Oh quite yes, quickly. right. And I and I thought I thought the way that really cement ties with these guys was to bring Italian cookies. So I made Italian cookies since I'm Italian and I would bring them to this recording sessions and basically you could bounce them off the walls. I wasn't a very good baker at the time, but they all took the cookies and, you know, I think they had fun kind of screwing around with me and my naivete, but, uh, you know, we all got along really well. (laughs) But Rosemary, the telephone operator, wasn't meant to be your age was she She was a bit older than you wasn't she wasn't she oh yeah and i think i think someone told me um years later that the design of rosemary which wasn't your typical hanna-barbera character was done by i think a a cartoonist from playboy who used to do i believe he did little annie fanny i mean because she was built and i meet men in their 30s now in fact i think i met I was talking to, I believe it was the deputy editor of The Guardian, who I met on Twitter, who was introduced to me by a mutual friend who grew up watching that. And he was going, oh my God, Rosemary, it's Rosemary. And it's like, wow, I had an effect on a bunch of Gen Xers. Uh, or maybe I was their first female crush or something. But I meet men all the time in all sorts of walks of life. Some of them quite powerful now, who grew up in their you know, nappies sitting on the rug watching me, you know, watching Rosemary, rather, and just kind of forming opinions about things. Indeed. So how did did you have much choice in how you uh, were going to make Rosemary sound? I mean, you were obviously given some in, some direction on that, I presume. They let me do whatever I wanted to do. I was, I was pretty much um, very known to Hanna-Barbera. I did a lot of voice work, a lot of commercials. I had won a Clio Award at the time, which was best commercial. Um, and so they let me do pretty much what I wanted to do. And that's that's what I thought Rosemary would sound like. <laughs> and, 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 and she... You know, she she turned. I mean, I mean, the series didn't last long, does it? It wasn't that many episodes of Hong Kong. No, we we didn't even we didn't even get two seasons because I'm I'm doing this thing. Okay, now I I went to an all girls school. It was pretty uh, politically correct, and I'm looking at this thing. I'm thinking this is strange. This show is really strange. And and for the first couple of years after I did it, it was almost like. Ooh, I did that. That's a little embarrassing. And then I started to see how popular it was. And it has had a life of its own. And in fact, um, at one point a couple of years ago, I mean, I'm, I'm a screenwriter now, with my, I write with my husband, 
And Warner Brothers was planning um, a Hong Kong Fui film with Eddie Murphy. And my, our agent represents or represented, or I guess still represents the man they had hired to direct it. So I heard from him saying, oh, we may want to talk to you and we may have you come and do something when we do this film. And I thought, okay, um, we'll see if this goes anywhere. And it didn't, but people have talked about it constantly, about reviving Hong Kong Fui, making, a, making an animated feature out of it. It's amazing, isn't it? Very few episodes, and, and it's had such an yeah, impact for such a long time. Exactly, and I think uh, there's a ska band called Limehouse who actually recorded Hong Kong Fui a few years ago. Um, I, I think it might be a British band. I've heard the song. Um, you know, I mean, I did so many other things that are still on and that people still talk about and they write me about and st- I hear from them on, on Twitter, on through email and stuff. Hong Kong Fui is the one, you know, that everybody goes, oh, I remember Hong Kong Fooey, you know, say hello, hello to me. It's like nuts. It's crazy. You'll always be be the telephone operator, Rosemary. Yeah, I will. And I'll tell you, if you go into some of the weirder online websites, people have a whole other appreciation of Rosemary that quite often involves blindfolds, whips, and chains, okay? So I don't know how she kind of transmogrified from hello, hello to this, but she's quite the uh, fetish object. (laughs) She was an important part of the show, though, wasn't she? She was a very (laughs) linchpin to the program. She was, because she would be rescued, she would be always following Hong Kong around, and she she was crazy for Hong Kong fooey, and I would say... I would think to myself, this is a dog in a kimono. I'm a person. I'm supposed to be a person, and she's in love with a dog in a kimono. But all right. It's <laughs> <laughs> bizarre. So, so go on then. I mean, you, people obviously, I'm sure all, everyone's asked you to do, to do Rosemary. Can you do Rosemary for us? Hello, hello. Oh, Hong Kong Fooey. Everything was always rhyming. Some you call the police department or Hong Kong Fooey. I would tell, oh, Hong Kong. Oh. That kind of deal. <laughs> that Excellent. kind of thing. And what was her relationship supposed to be like with the policeman, the head the head policeman? What was her relationship? Uh, she, Rosemary seemed to only have eyes for Hong Kong. None of the human people on the show counted. And, uh, you know, we, we it was fun because we would get in there at around 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning on recording days, and we would just be there all day recording the show. And... After a, a bit, they did show us what our characters looked like, but that was after we started doing the voices. Um, and it was it was fun. We'd have a great time. We would do the stuff. We would go out to lunch. We would have snacks. We would kid around. Then they would discipline us and say, okay, get back in front of the microphones again. And, you know, it was, it was a really fun environment because both Hannah and Barbara were alive at the time. They were there. And when I first got hired at Hanna-Barbera, he, Joe Barbera took me all around to everybody, all the animators, everybody at the studio and introduced me because I was Italian and he was Italian. And I got to meet everybody and I don't remember anybody, but you know. And did you, did you build on any experience of your own in terms of the way you'd listen to people who, you know, telephone operate in other, other, other walks of life, you know, because there is a certain type of person, isn't there? Sort of, but not, not really. I've been doing voices sort of even from when I was 15, 16 years old. And I used to call in the local radio station in San Francisco when I was about 15 or 16 and tease the disc jockeys and do voices and play characters. And so 
they were intrigued because I could mimic people. So they started calling. I would be putting my uniform on, getting ready to go to school, and my mother would get a phone call, and it would be one of the DJs on the air saying, Queen Elizabeth's coming to the U.S. Can Kathy do the Queen? Put, get, put Kathy on the phone and see if she can do the Queen. And then I would, in my little school uniform before I left, would, you know, hello. And I would do the Queen, and then I would go off to school. And that's how I started doing that. And then as soon as I graduated, and even before I started college, they offered me a job on the radio, doing all of these, you know, doing the morning show with um, my co-host, who was a very experienced guy, and playing characters. And, you know, I would write bits and I would write characters. And so I had a lot of experience doing all kinds of voices. Then um, I got hired to work on the first season of Sesame Street, um, singing and doing characters. And I was in Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, the stage play for about two years when I got out of school, uh, playing Peppermint Patty. And that's a whole other set of voices. So I had a lot of voice experience and I was just looking for something that would be funny. I was playing her to be funny. Do you think if you'd seen uh, initially, originally, the, 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 the images of the way Rosemary was going to, to look, do you think you'd have played her in the same way? Um, I, I might have. I might have made her a little more, you know, I don't know. I might have made her a little more seductive um, instead of so brassy. But I guess it's the combination of brassy and big gazongas and a short, tight skirt that made her so appealing for all these years. And everyone and, remembers the um, theme tune, don't they? The theme tune was classic, wasn't it? Hong Kong fooey, number one super guy. <laughs> Thanks for the earworm. This is Distinct Nostalgia by MIM, proudly supporting Acting for Others. On Sunday, the 5th of April, Engine Shed and Something for the Weekend present The, the Dance, Dance Army, Army Radio, Radio Show, Show on air, the home front edition, and all through Facebook. Right and down, return, return attention. Really, Mr. Bambrick, my parishioners haven't seen onions for a month. David Benson and Jack Lane star in a special recording of the last episode, Never Too Old. Excuse me, sir, do you think I might be excused? Mr. Manning, you've got nothing to worry about. Keep calm, we've got to keep calm. Now don't panic, don't panic! The Dad's Army Radio Show, on air. The Homefront Edition. Sunday the 5th of April 2020, from 7.30pm. Streaming and available for 24 hours at facebook.com slash dadsarmyradio. Please donate to Acting for Others online at bit.ly slash dadsarmyradio. Acting for Others provides financial and emotional support to all theatre workers in times of need through 14 member charities. Actingforothers.co.uk Hong Kong Fui is the thing that it seems that everyone remembers you for in terms of Rosemary, the, the telephone operator. But as you said, you've done all sorts of other things and you were uh, Laurie in Inchai Private High as well. Right. And I was Katie in Valley of the Dinosaurs. And um, we. the interesting thing is, in those days, people didn't think about the value of animation cells. 
you know, and and they've become quite collector's items. The old Disney animation cells from the old classic animated films are worth a lot of money. And now the Hanna-Barbera animated cells. And so we were given animated cells of our characters. That's what they started doing at a certain point. So I had them rolled up in tubes um, in a box somewhere. And I have carried these tubes around with me for a number of years. And we bought a new house last year and we had a lot of boxes in the garage, a lot of stuff we just didn't get to. And we bought a new car. And even though our garage is designed for more than one car, for two cars, half of it is was boxes and half of it we had to clear a space for this, this SUV we bought. So um, in clearing the boxes, my hu- finally, after being in this house for a year, my husband found the tube that had animated uh, cells of Katie from Valley of the Dinosaurs and animated cells. There probably are some Hong Kong fooey things in there too, but really I remember seeing Valley of the Dinosaurs, which was, la- which was a riff on Land of the Lost, I guess, which was popular at the time. Indeed. On In Chai Private Eye, you played, uh, you were another pretty big yeah. part in In Chai Private Eye, weren't you? you were one of the main- I was the human-sized person because my uncle In Chai was an In Chai. And he was played by Lenny Weinrib, who I was dating at the time. I started dating him because we were working together. He was about a zillion years older than me. Um, in fact, he was like 22 years older than me. But we dated for a while. And um, it, we had a lot of fun. And then the guy that played... The young assistant to Inch High was a very interesting fellow because he told me, unless he was screwing around with me, he told me that he was the nephew or the great nephew of Lucky Luciano, the gangster. So I thought, okay, that's interesting. The Hanna-Barbera was filled with strange... The one thing that I'm sorry that I did not do is I missed two gigs with Hanna-Barbera. I auditioned for Scooby-Doo and didn't get it. And I also did not get one of the Smurf characters. So had I done Scooby-Doo and the Smurfs, that would have been pretty... Well, both of those were long-running shows, weren't they? Because In Chai Private Eye, again, was only 13 (laughs) episodes, wasn't it? One series. Right. I I was the queen of the, like, one-season series. Um, In Chai... Well, the the one that did last was the new Tom and Jerry. Um, and I constantly hear from people. We did a lot of the new Tom and Jerry. They revived Tom and Jerry in the, I guess it was around 1975 or 76. And I did that. And in that, I was not playing Tom or Jerry. I played a lot of everybody else. All these other, I was, it was like a million characters. I would go in and I might be doing three or four different people per episode you you've been working as you say in 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 voiceover and doing animation uh, films and various other things like this all your life for a very long time looking back what was was that period in the 70s the sort of the the the, the heyday the time that you enjoyed most or or have you um you know are there other moments that um that- yes you know i the 70s were really great and the animation was great because I had the pleasure of working with some of the great radio actors of the golden days of radio. I worked with people who had been on the radio and had been big radio stars in the 30s and the 40s. They're all gone now because they're all, you know, if they were alive, they'd be 120 years old or something. But um, I, that was great to be able to work with people who had worked with Jack Benny and work with people who had worked with Burns and Allen and all the great comedians. And these people were wonderful. And then what happened was animation changed 
greatly around, I don't know whether it was in the 80s or the 90s. I was already writing at that point, not doing animation anymore. Um, but they started, movie stars and television stars started to say, well, we want to do animation. So it went from a business where you had old radio stars and they were legit people who had stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and they were very well known. Um, they started to die out. And instead of the younger voice people uh, taking over the, the lead roles, a lot of those lead roles got tapped from people like Robin Williams. I mean, any big movie star who wanted to do animation would do animation. And it became sort of a very exclusive club. You know what I mean? I went and the last time I did um, an audition was I got called in for Family Guy to play the wife on Family Guy, which I think was about the only character that the creator of Family Guy was not playing. Um, but it, 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 it was, you'd go to an audition and you'd be sitting there with all these TV stars, movie people. And it's like, it became like, why do you want to do animation? Why, why, why? Do you think something's been lost with those changes? You know, what, what was lost in a way is the animated characters greatly resemble the personas of the people playing them. So in other words, if Eddie Murphy's playing something, the animated character has a very Eddie Murphy persona. It's not, it's not a matter of creating the persona to fit the drawing anymore, but creating the drawing to fit who's playing them. Uh, for instance, Shrek, you know, I mean, it's, it's not that he looks like, you know, Mike, what's his name, but it, it's just a different, it's a different process, I think. And they, they realize, and it's caused the, the revival of a second golden age of animation because they realize that, okay, they're not going to necessarily go see Finding Nemo um, with somebody one has never heard of in the movie. They will go see Finding Nemo if Ellen DeGeneres is in it, or Albert Brooks is in it, or any number of big stars are in it. You know what I mean? You have Cameron Diaz, you have all these various people. And so it's built around Stifling that. the possibility of new new people and new talent coming through, isn't it? That's the, that's the thing. It's, I, I thought so. I mean, right now, a lot, I think a lot of new talent um, is gravitating toward games. And, you know, some of the some of the studios like Pixar, they use big stars for their main roles and they fill a lot of those roles, too, with some of the producers and the animators are also actors and some of the writers are actors. Brad Bird, who is the director of a lot of those big Pixar animated films, also does voices. So he's in his own films. That's good. But a lot of the character voices and the people that I worked with have gone on to do um, stuff like, um, you know, what's the uh, the the car theft, you know, all those, all those video games. Yeah. They're, they're like a big The other deal. thing you haven't got in America, which we've still got a little bit of here, is, is that we still have a, a reasonably large sort of radio drama and comedy sort of sector, certainly through the BBC. Yes. That doesn't exist in yes. the same way in America, does it? No. Um, people do podcasts, uh, some individuals. A lot of the people I know that I worked with um, do a lot of, uh, they do a lot of video games. They go to the comic cons, the conventions. Um, I was approached recently by, well, I, I met a guy in, in Sonoma and I live about 50 miles North of San Francisco. And I live in the very small town where the founder of Pixar lives. The, you know, all the Pixar people live in Sonoma. 
Um, and so they, there's a lot of people here. So one of the, one of my neighbors, it turns out, was one of the producers of a bunch of these Pixar movies. And he said, oh my God, Rosemary, you live in Sonoma. So we got together, we had coffee. I mean, he grew up watching Hong Kong Fooey. He's a young guy. And now he has gone with a number of guys from um, Lucasfilm and they have a very successful gaming company. And so he's talked to me about would I like to go back and do some game voices. So I thought, okay, that's fun. I'd like to do that. That would really be you know, it would be fun. Looking back finally then at Hong Kong Fui, though, I'm just looking through the, uh, the the people who are involved in it. It looks as though you're you're the only one left. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm the last surviving member because I was also a kid when I was doing it. They were all older than me. But uh, yes, I, I, I'm the one that's left. What would you say then? Let's go turn full circle back to Hong Kong Fui. What would you say finally then? Would your your overriding memory of working with people like Scatman Brothers and other people um, at, at that time in Hong Kong Fui? Well, you know, I did not know. I know who Joey Ross was because I had seen him on on Sergeant Bilko, American television show, when I was like five. Um, I knew who, I didn't know who Scatman was. I had no idea of how famous Scatman was. Dawes Butler, I learned later, had a great history in the golden age of radio here in the United States. But I did not understand what a big deal Scatman was until Stanley Kubrick made The Shining. And then I, I thought, oh my God, what we used to do on breaks um, from recording is we would sort of go out into the parking lot of Hanna-Barbera and Scatman would play his ukulele and sort of sing and dance around. And Joey Ross would tell absolutely filthy, filthy, filthy jokes. Um, which came from his days, I learned, in burlesque. And I don't mean high-class burlesque. I mean, I don't know where he was working, but he would do stuff. And I mean, I would go, oh my God, you know, so that's all I knew. Do you remember any of the particular storylines? I mean, you say that it was all very bizarre setup, but uh, can you remember any of the storylines? I remember um, there were bank robbers. There probably were several bank robbers. What I do is I get the Hong Kong Fooey plots mixed up with Tom and Jerry. So all I remember is masked guys in striped shirts. And um, that's what I really remember. And I remember just, you know, everything had to sound like I was just crazy in love with Hong Kong. Um, Kathy, thank you very much indeed for talking to me. Really, really good. Really nice to to to, uh, to hear Rosemary again. Um, it'd be nice to have Rosemary revived at some point in the future. I think it'd be great to have Hong Kong food back. <laughs> Um, it was certainly part of my my childhood in the nineteen nineteen seventies, and I'm amazed that there was only there was so few episodes because for me it sort of seemed to go on forever. Hong Kong Fui, number one super guy. Hong Kong Fui, yeah, that's in my head now for the rest of the day. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ashley. Bye bye. Distinct nostalgia is produced by MIM, and we've some real gems to come in the coming weeks to keep you entertained during these difficult times as we all self isolate to stay healthy. And the good news is that from today, you can get all your Distinct Nostalgia programmes all in one place by going to distinctnostalgia.com. Don't forget to keep in touch on Twitter at distinct underscore by MIM or send us your ideas to info at madeinmanchester.tv. Bye for now. Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with The Life Rooms and the Merseycare NHS Foundation Trust. 
We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.